The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. And welcome once again to It Came From The Radio, the official show of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking with me on our 34th, 34th live show, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library, is none other than my uh, co-host, Jen Elise Feldy from the Life of Genergy. Good afternoon, good evening. What day is it? I don't know. It's the coronapocalypse. And, <laughs> and we're going to have our special guest, who we're going to be talking to with and about in just a few minutes, award-winning director Jared Burrell. Hi. So before Sorry, I had nothing funny to say. I like Jen's <laughs> answer. I, I couldn't cut top that. I now I just Hi, <laughs> I guess to the point. That's great. That's it. Hi. So uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking with him in just a few minutes. But first, we have to take it away with the news. <laughs> The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, of which we are the official radio show of celebrating over 25 years of pop culture-ness and comic book stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. And eventually, they're going to have a convention when the apocalypse is over. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And I also want to mention our shout-outs. Four of which they are Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Perel, who's right here, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous, Drenson Media, Unji Kun, Shadow Rabbit Art, and The Huracan, which is a convention in a church in Long Island. You want to get your own little shout-out? Go to www.patreon.com. Look us up in the, came from the, radio, in the search bar, and you can have your own little shout-out as well. All right, let's start off as we always do with the sad news. A German actor, I'm going to mispronounce his name, so I apologize in advance. It is Tilo Pruckner, Pruckner, P-R-U-C-K-N-E-R, Pruckner, German. Uh, He died recently of a sudden heart failure. Uh, Tilo, or Tilo, appeared in over 100 German-produced films, TV shows, and most notably, the original Neverending Story, and Iron Sky, which I managed to see this year. Um, did you guys watch Iron Sky? Have you seen it? I've seen it. Can't say I have. Sorry. I saw Neverending Story, though. Okay, so you're halfway there. Um, <laughs> Iron Sky is a film uh, a couple of years old, and they made a sequel to it about um, what happens if the Nazis uh, took, in, took off into outer space and lived on the moon at the end of World War II, and then they want to come back to invade. That's realistic. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy, it sounds as crazy as it is. It sounds kind of like a family planning video to help you plan your future. <laughs> Get on the, to be with those two astronauts and take off, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm planning for. Because this is becoming an inhabitable place. Um, so, he, yes, so he was a, a spry 79. 
So moving on from more sad news. Actor Earl Cameron also died recently. As of this recording, which is July 8th of 2020, no cause of death has been released. Earl appeared in such films as The Heart Within, Thunderball, that was a James Bond movie, Battle Beneath the Earth, A Warm December, The Interpreter, and Inception, just to name a few. Uh, what makes him so special is that he was a super old, 102 years old. Wow. Good for him. Inception. Did you guys see Inception? I did see Inception. Uh, the big smile means you didn't see Inception? What's that? Me? Yeah, you. I've, I've seen Inception like 37 times. Okay, so, so you've seen him at least 37 times I've, in the movie. I've seen him at least 37 times, yes. <laughs> Uh, I saw Inception, and I went with I went on one of my few dates I've ever gone on in my entire life because I'm not a dater. And we both didn't understand the movie, and it was something we could agree upon. So I remember that. <laughs> and it was a very smart date. It's actually one of the youngest uh, coaches in a professional sports league, so he must be very smart. Um, all right, since we're all sharing our uh, Inception stories, yes. I used, as, as we all know, I used to work in a movie theater. And during one of the screenings of the movie, somebody died watching the movie. Well, they I just, don't blame them. It was really they, boring. They just, While you were working? No, actually, I wasn't there that day. I was on vacation, so I come back to work. And like, by the way, did you hear this guy died in, wow. in the movie theater? So he had a heart attack during wow. the movie. And they wheeled him out and everything. So I was like, wow, that must have been some intense movie. That's the way to go. Bye. I was confused, but I didn't think I was going to have a heart attack. So, so yeah. Um, moving on for even more sad news, because we are sad news full this week. I, this uh, is how you start the show every week is with sad news? Yes, well, yes see, because... Be every week, because every week, I, I don't want to hear it. So I just make fun of the deaths, and now I've made fun of like 17 people who died. It's great. Well, this all sounds like it's in great taste. Continue, please. Right. <laughs> well, the, the thing is... Is that we used to end with the sad news as we did the news, but then um, our former co-host Hassan Godwin was like, "You should start with the sad news because you have no place to go but up from here." Mm. That's fair. Okay. So even more sad news: stage and screen actor Nick Cordero also died recently, and he died of the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, Nick appeared in episodes of Blue Bloods and Law and Order Special Victims Unit, as well as films as Don Juan, Stand Up Guy, and Mob Town, just to name a few. Nick also performed on such theater productions as The Toxic Avenger as the lead, Rock of Ages, Bullets Over Broadway, and A Bronx Tale. Um, he was a young 41. He was a baby, 41 years old. Yeah. Well, saddest thing in life is wasted talent. So hopefully he got a lot of his talent out before he hit 41. Have you ever seen uh, any of those movies mentioned and or any of the Broadway productions, Jennifer? Yeah, The Bronx Tale I just quoted. The Toxic Avenger. I, uh, I work with uh, the right-hand man assistant to the man who made that movie, Lloyd Kaufman. Or, or, we'll talk more about that because I have some things I can't disclose right now. <laughs> but yes, of course, I did a commercial for Toxic Reaction Figures a few months ago. Look at that self, same as self promotion. When is that coming out? Um. Well, so we'll talk about that later. It's a long story. <laughs> All I right. Can show, I can do the video privately. Okay. You show no one. All right. Um, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so moving on to the last bit of sad news, we finally made it to the last bit of sad news. 
um, legendary musician Charlie Daniels also died recently from a stroke. Uh, Charlie is perhaps best known for his most famous self-titled band, the Charlie Daniels Band, and the 1979 song The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which has transcended through all forms of media, including films, TV shows, and even video games. Um, of note, in 1993, Charlie teamed up with fiddler Mark O'Connor to record a sequel to the aforementioned song titled The Devil Came Back to Georgia, along with Johnny Cash, Marty Stewart, and Travis Tritt. Um, you guys ever heard the new song, the, the sequel song? I, I remember hearing it a long time ago. Was it? That's all I got. Sorry, I heard it once. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get it? like the first one? I actually am more familiar with the second one than the first one. But really? it, it yeah, because I had heard of the first one. But then the second one I heard, I was like, wow, this is a really cool song. And then I'm like, oh, it's a sequel to the original song. And I, so I, I learned more about the new one than the old one. So I appreciate them both. But I feel personally, I appreciate the new one more. You always know the stuff like, in the culture I don't. I was going to say, I feel like there's not enough song sequels. I can name like two off the top of my head. Um, I, I got two and one of them is the, is the, the Charlie Daniels one. So, um, uh, love the way you lie. There's a sequel song to that. Mm. Metallica uh, did unforgiven too. All right. See, I, I did not know that. So look at that. Jennifer, you have a, a sequel song for us? No, but I'm coming up with sequels that should be made, like Run DMC had, and it's the way it is, but it's not that way anymore because like 20 years has passed, so they should do an updated, and it's the way it is now. And it would all be, uh, you know, the Corona Apocalypse BS that we're going through. It would be very uplifting, or not. I like it. So DMC has a new band called DMC and the Hellraisers, and I did their poster and album release for the single that came out this week. So I'll pass that along to DMC and let him know he needs to make a sequel. Look at that. There you go. Perfect, perfect. She, she wants 2% of all the profits for coming up with that idea. I'd like 2% myself. So you can get, so she can get two percent of your two percent. Love it. Yeah, you tell you tell them if they have any more uh, blank parts in their mind, they need some ideas. They can just call me. Like I'm right here. I'll let them know. I like the fact that she did. That's the way it is. As part of how the song went, and then she just stopped and said, "Now." <laughs> <laughs> now. <laughs> um, he, uh, Charlie Daniels, was a uh, spry eighty-three. Mm. Uh, all right, so moving on to some happier news. This is actually very happy news, sort of. Uh, from the shameless self-promotion department, none other than a came from the radio's very own Mark Torres will be part of the Apex Comic panel for this year's virtual San Diego Comic-Con. The panel will promote many of their upcoming projects, one of which is my comic. Uh, Mark says, I hope you come to my panel. The panel will be <laughs> broadcast on San Diego site on uh, Saturday, July 25th at 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So um, actually, uh, a shout out to Mario Nasizia for his Apex Comics. I actually got, he actually got me to go to a panel in San Diego two years ago, and now I get to be on this one as well. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, Mark, I don't think I'll be able to make it to San Diego on that well, day. It's a virtual panel. <laughs> I know. Then you're still not gonna make it, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so moving on to uh, real news from the follow-up department. 
All right, so from anyone who has been listening to our show on a regular basis, we have been reporting the roller coaster ride that is Diamond Distributors' recent actions due to the ongoing pandemic, starting from. There's more, yes. So, starting from where Diamond Distributors decided to stop distributing comic books, then they decided that they weren't going to pay their vendors what, what they owed. Then they decided that they were going to pay them back on a percentage basis of 25% per month, still owing the rest of the 75% each month. Then the head of the marketing department quit. Then um, they said they were going to come back in full force. And during that time, DC Comics decided to remove themselves from the diamond marketing thing. This all happened within like a month and a half. This is so crazy. Um, but now, now it has been reported that diamond has increased their shipping rates to the already struggling comic book stores that sell their products to. Uh, wow. comic, comic book owner says, <clears throat> I was paying roughly 6% of the wholesale on shipping from diamond pre-pandemic. This has raised up to approximately 10%. And we've had single week rises as high as 25%. Uh, Diamond, however, says <clears throat> our base shipping rates have not changed, but the landscape in which we all are operating has. Freight, freight costs increase at a percentage of an order's value as the weight decreases. Smaller shipments cost more to ship per pound than large shipments. A number of publishers have re-reduced their publishing activities in response to the pandemic. So as we approach to a more normal capacity, shipment sizes will decrease and the freight as percentage of the shipment's value will go back down. Some discounts from the various shippers are passed along to the retailers, but we also base our specific weight thresholds. Some retailers are missing those thresholds, but hope that they will exceed them again soon. All right. I believe them. Do you believe them? I don't believe them. You don't believe them? You think you're full of it? Uh, yeah, like, come on, they, they, they obviously, I mean, look, yes, everybody's uh, in, a, in this unique situation, and yes, they're trying to do the best they can, but I believe that their best they can is not anywhere near what the best it should be. Um, Jared, you actually have written a couple of comics. Did you ever go to Diamond? Yeah, twice. So, what do you think about this? Ah. <laughs> uh. I, 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 my experience with Diamond um, left me uh, underwhelmed. Okay. Uh, you know, I was excited to have a couple of graphic novels that we released independently through Loader Barrel Studios um, through Diamond. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't really want to like, I, I don't, I don't know what my future with Diamond may be, so I don't want to, eh. but like you're dealing with a large corporate structure that's you know making money off of like a lot of you know creators and you know i think it, when we talk about retail space in other industries or, or just in general i think we have a different idea of what retail is versus when you're looking at little comic book stores um so you know a lot of these guys i feel like are, are getting squeezed already and i know as as an artist as a creator as a publisher we got squeezed the most so, you know, at this point, to squeeze more is almost like, you know, you're trying to pull more blood from a stone. And I mean, that's, it's, I think, a, a microcosm for a lot of the problems with big business today. 
was that diplomatic enough? By yes, also it very well. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely done. Um, yeah, that's all. Better I, to be underwhelmed than overwhelmed. Or maybe, <laughs> no, or overwhelmed would have been really great. I, mm -hmm. I, if my diamond order came in and the money was overwhelming me, I'd be totally fine being overwhelmed by, by money. You hear that, Diamond? Overwhelm this fella. <laughs> so Please. right now, I, all I'll say on this, because we've talked about it to extent, um, Diamond only cares about Diamond right now. That's all I got to say about that, and we'll just move on. Yeah. Uh, all right, so for the last bit of news, because this one is going, we might have time for, for this one more, but let's do this news, uh, bit of news first. From the Isn't It Called Acting Department, Actor and comedian Jenny Slate announced that she will no longer voice the character of Missy, a young black girl on Netflix's Big Mouse cartoon series, in a move to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Jenny says, I'm not going to do her voice, at a start of the show, I reassured, I reasoned with myself that it was permissible for me to play Missy because her mom is Jewish and white, as am I. But Missy is also black, and black characters on an animated show should be played by black people. I acknowledge how my original reasoning was flawed, that it existed as an example of white privilege and unjust allowances made within the system of societal white supremacy, and in that me playing Missy, I was engaging in art and art of erasure of black people. Ending the portrayal of Missy is one step in a lifelong process of uncovering racism in my actions. As I look back on the nature of my emer emergences, my own voice and comedy, I know that I have made mistakes along the way. I cannot change the past. I know I can take accountability for my choices. I will continue to engage in meaningful anti-racist actions, to be thoughtful about the messages in my work, to be curious and open to feedback, and to do my best to take responsibility for the ways I am part of the problem. Whew. Wow, Missy, there's one thing that you forgot to do. What, what, I'm, I'm worried, what did she forget to do? Bend over, I didn't see that in here. She did, she's doing every single thing else, but she's not bending over. <laughs> I think she should do more. I think she's not saying enough here. I was, wait I was waiting for her to go for it, so I knew it was coming. <laughs> Sorry, I, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. She's not racist. She, she took a job. You know, I mean, maybe she is racist, but this act is racist. Whatever. Don't get me started on the stretches that are happening nowadays, the extrapolations and leaps of things that do not exist. Um, Jared, do you have any thoughts on that? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I just think, I think that as, as, a, as an artist, as a creator, as a filmmaker, like, we're we're at a time where um, I think all of our actions have to be just thought about a little bit more. And so I think whether you agree with the moves or don't agree with the moves or whatever it is, um, I do think that it's a good sign that people are at least being more conscious of their choices, be it voicing a particular character, playing a certain character, whatever. Um, I think time will tell what those right choices may be and what's more necessary or less necessary, but it, it's at least a step in the right direction that people are at least thinking about it and at least being conscious of these things and at least trying, you know, you got to give this woman credit for at least trying to do at, at, the, at the littlest her part in what she thinks is right. Very well said. Man, you are taking the high political PC role today. 
I am a <laughs> filmmaker who's hoping to be much more successful than I am today. And you're so, recording this. So. You don't want to be cancel culture. <laughs> good, good thinking. Um, I, I can, I can, I can tote a line between the two of you. I'll be not as PC, but um, I think that it's more about the acknowledgement of other minorities in roles out there. And I think that's where the focus should be. Not on the fact that people, it's an animated character. Like, does that mean that um, that that only dogs can voice dog roles, or you know, it's yeah, but, right? Problem, right? So I, mean, I so I think that it's not that sh that it should be black people can only do black voices because if you think about it, that's kind of reverse racism. Like only black people can do this. I think the best person for the job should do it, but they should open the doors more and make and and include everybody. I think that what's happening is that they're not even it's not even an idea to look for black people to do the black voice. I think that's where it is and that's where it should be. But for a fact that a person who's already doing a black voice to quit because they feel that's racist, I think that's kind of dumb. That's, that's why I see it. Very nice Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Listen, so, yes. I, I agree with Jared's point completely, but this things have, that has been my, that's been my mindset my entire life and things have just gotten so ridiculous that someone needs to turn the tables on the social justice warrior. So that's where I'm at. And my stance is hashtag come at me, bro. So try to cancel me. That's my stance. I'm going to keep on getting jobs. I'm going to keep hosting film festivals, regardless of what I say. So cancel culture, cancel me. And the views of the show's host, and yes, not necessarily fucked up. Yeah. Don't cancel me. <laughs> Uh, all right. So on this, on the same, on the same wavelength, we do have enough time for this last bit of news from the wildly what uncomfortable thing you're gonna throw us now. <laughs> this one's a good one. It's it's on the same. It's on the same wavelength. Um, from the wildly swinging pendulum causing the domino effect department. Um, as we just mentioned about um, Jesse, Jenny Slade with the character of Missy, Family Guy, Simpsons, and actress Kristen Bell also announced that their black characters will no longer be voiced by non-black actors. For those of you who didn't know, Kristen was providing the voice of a mixed-race character in the show Central Park, and Cleveland Brown has always been voiced by a white actor, Mike Henry. Also, the TV episodes of Scrubs, 30 Rocks, and Community had certain episodes pulled from streaming services since they are no longer in first-run shows where the characters appeared in blackface. And to top it all off, because, you know, this is how we are, one episode of The Golden Girls has been pulled due to the actresses appearing in Mud Mass. Yeah, what? Um... So, yeah, you go first, Jennifer. Let's go low. Jared will go high, and I'll go middle. I, I don't know how high, to be honest. I thought Kristen Bell was black, so that's just where I just <laughs> thought. She's not? No. I'm not black? No. <laughs> All right, move on. Anyway. Jared, do you want to go high? What do, what do you got? No, I just I, – I read an interesting article recently about these polls and these episode polls. It, to me – while, yeah, there's certainly, um, you know, things that have happened on TV and in film in the past that probably wouldn't happen on screen today, I think erasing them is not the proper solution. Yes. Um, I think that we already in this country have a problem of erasing 
history and whitewashing it in a way that makes it look like we were all great. I mean, when, when Juneteenth happened and, you know, there's a big conversation about how most people didn't know about Tulsa in, um, you know, the Juneteenth incident, um, you know, it was in Watchmen and that was, I remember that being a big thing that people were like, wait, this is real, this happened. I mean, that's, that's when I learned about it. I didn't learn about it beforehand. So to take episodes of television that already existed and to pull them and erase them as if they didn't happen, I don't really see that as a solution. That sort of makes it, you know, we're, we're, we're literally, you know, erasing parts of the past to make it look better. Not to mention, if I'm not mistaken, the Golden Girls episode, they had a couple episodes that were um, like of, of, of racial um, issues. If I'm not mistaken, the, the moral of those episodes were racism is bad. And so to pull something that has an element of that and to erase the lesson and to say, no, 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 this never happened. It didn't exist. If you want to watch the Golden Girls, this just didn't happen. I don't find that to be really a, a progressive solution either. Um, I understand the hesitation to want to air that kind of content, um, especially today. And again, credit to people who are saying things aren't so good. Let's do what we can. I don't really find that to be the best solution. You want to put a disclaimer up and say, hey, there's a thing. But pulling like Gone with the Wind to me is not really the same thing as fighting for um you know the really major equal rights that are important today like police officers not murdering black citizens in the street um while i think they're all sort of you know um the heart behind it is all there um i do think that sometimes some people are just trying to do what it is they think is best and i don't know necessarily that it's always the best I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I'll actually go one step further, but to say that I actually saw the episode of Golden Girls, because if you do enough homework, you can find anything online, um, right. the, the mud mask. So basically, for those of you who don't know, um, it was about race, racial tensions between one of the Golden Girls uh, kids, who was a white guy, and he fell in love with a black woman, and the black family was going to come to meet the, the family. And in that episode, Rue McClanahan and um, Betty White were doing a facial treatment. So they had a mud mask on and they walked in where the other parents were already there. And Betty White says, oh, we're not black. It's just mud. That was the extent of that joke. So it wasn't even racially charged. I think that the pendulum just went way too far and they might think they're doing a good idea, but they're really not. And if anything gets, uh, gets taken off the air or stopped being broadcast, from what I understand, then you don't get the royalties. So people who put their hard work, time, and effort into these things, they're not going to get paid for it anymore. So, and, and, and the other thing is like, what does canceling, what does getting rid of an episode of Golden Girls have to do with what's going on? That's, that's the other, the whole thing. So it's, it's a crazy thing. I know this is just a, the, like I said, the pendulum is just going crazy in one way. So hopefully it'll come back and then we'll eventually we'll settle back in the middle. Um, so Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's as far as I got. But that's the end of the news segment. So now we're going to take our break. Whew. We'll be right back with It Came From The Radio. Hi, this is Sue Lee from Face Off Season 2. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or a product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark 
at mfc underscore studios at hotmail.com. New comics are back at Cosmic Comics and Games of Baldwin. And now get ready for Joker War from DC Comics. Cosmic Comics and Games is open Wednesday from noon to 7, Thursday from 2 to 7, Friday from 2 to 7, and Saturday from noon to 5. So if you want the latest Marvel DC image or independent comics, comic book supplies, back issues, or magic cards, please call Chuck at 516-763-1133 for all the details. Thank you and stay safe. This is Quentin Flynn, a popular voice actor known for Axel, Tamon, uh, and Raiden from the Metal Gear series. And you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Stick around. Hey guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on bread, soups, muffins, quiches, and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C-K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Hey, it's Marissa Jade, your favorite mob wife, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. This is Gray Griffin, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From The Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking for our live show, 34th, 34th live show, courtesy of the East Metal Public Library. Uh, for more information, go to www.eastmetalinfo.com, and they have uh, programs every single day. They have something new programs, and they sponsor our show once a month. I am here with our co-host, Jen Elise Feldy. Hello, hello, hello. And award-winning director, Jared Burrell. Hello, hello, hello. How so, many awards do you have? How many? Oh, that's, there you go. Let's start off right there. You go. How many awards do you have? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, think, I think the Incoherence won four or six or something, and then another ten or so for comics and things. I don't know. <laughs> you have so many. I like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't have any Oscars or Eisners or anything, so <laughs> I'm grateful yes. for anybody who's thought I was award-winning at any point. Awards are like sexual partners. After you get to a certain number, you just stop counting. You're like, ah, bring more. Well, sadly, I have more awards. So. <laughs> or not sadly. Or not sadly. Are you going to change your name, your legal name, to award-winning director Jared Burrell? I already did. Oh, good, good man. <laughs> he should be dating the hot Megan Fox. I always laugh because in the notes, which I didn't read today for the news, if you couldn't heard and tell, he writes the hot Megan Fox. So about six times in one paragraph, the hot Megan Fox says, isn't that great? Isn't Mark so funny? So you're the award-winning director, Jared yeah. Burrell. Yes, exactly. Exactly. He is not the hot Jared Burrell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, it's not my fault this damn Zoom camera picks out every single gray hair, all right? It is good. It is wise. Is, is, that, is, goes up. is that gray hair from stress of making films, or is that from something completely different? 
Huh. I mean, I could tell you that the majority of these are probably for making the incoherence. Yes. Hmm. Yes. So, um, what, what's, what's interesting is that I think this is the best time to talk about making films because now people have plenty of spare time on their hands in theory. And a lot of people are making their own content online to try and make films. So this was an independent film on a, uh, would you consider it a shoestring budget or was it like a, like, like, well, a, like a thread in a shoestring. <laughs> and, and yet, having, having seen this movie, and I want to mention, that movie was an honorable mention of 2019. It was that good. It didn't appear to be a movie that was shot on a shoestring budget. So how, do you, uh, how can you do that and make it look like it's, an, like it's a quote-unquote real movie? I hate, I hate saying that, that it looks like a real movie, but it is. It's a real movie. No. I, I think that's, I mean, first off, thank you. It's, but I, I do think it's valid. I think um, when, when we started out making the film, like my, my goal was in my head, I want this to look like a real movie. I want this to feel like a real movie. So I'm just as bad as you are. Cause I think there is, I think there's a lot of content out there. Um, especially when technology to make things at a higher level is so accessible. I think there are a lot of people that don't know really how to utilize that technology to actually make it look on the level. Um, you know, I think a lot of people just assume like you have the expensive camera. So if you point it and you press record, you're going to get an expensive looking image. And that's just not the case. So, um, you know, a lot of it's credit to our cinematographer, John Hudak Jr. Um, who's worked with me on shorts and stuff for God, I met him. He was a gaffer on one of my sets in 2008. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we went at it with, with the intention of let's make it as beautiful as we can make it. Um, I, you know, a lot of it comes from uh, years of working in post. So editing and motion graphics and color and VFX and things like that. So, um, you know, when you go at, when you go at it, you're, you're really trying to get the, the images that are going to tell the story. And then the next thing on your mind has to be about how can I make those images as beautiful as possible? So, um, so the fact that, that uh, it seems like you and, and other people have found that to be successful, that it actually is a good-looking movie, um, you know, thank you, uh, means we, we hit at least one of our marks. And in addition to it looking good, it also sounded good. I remember that um, when the, I saw it twice. So the first time, the, the theater was having problems with the sound. I remember that. And I was like, it sounded fine. Be like, no, it sounds way better than this. And like as I said, I've seen many independent films and the sound would you say that the sound is as important or more important than the visuals i mean it's certainly equally as important um i I guess to put it in perspective a good portion of our budget was um post work for sound um and going to an external studio to let them do what they could do with it um i'm not gonna lie i think it sounds good um i wish we had even more money and more time that we can make it sound even better. Um, but I'm a, I'm a stickler. Uh, and, you know, I've watched the movie, um, you know, <laughs> even more times than I've seen Inception. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can still nitpick things and, and have things I want done even better. But I do think it's, it's a super important thing is that sound. Because a movie that sounds like crap, you don't want to listen to. Are you having a George Lucas moment where the movie is never finished? I no, I'm good. I'm ready for the next movie. I'm I'm good. Jennifer, you have a question. It's not to say I didn't have the George Lucas moment. Ah, okay. Jennifer, you have a question for Jared? 
Yeah, I just wrapped a movie over the weekend. So every time I, I wrap something, I'll pick up on something I want to do next time. So is there anything or what things did you learn from this that you're going to make sure you don't repeat? Or you say, oh, no, no, I, I definitely have to do this the next movie. Hmm. That's a good question because I have like a, a laundry list of them. Um, I actually made sure to, um, not necessarily while we were in production, but I edited the film also. So while I was editing, it was actually easier for me to take a look at what we did and say, should have done this, that, and the other. So right. I have like a, a running list of things like next time, do this, do that, do whatever. I, uh, as an example, um, you know, when you're, you're in a scene and you're shooting, you know, you're trying to make sure you get the coverage to tell the story, to tell the scene and, and whatever it is. So it was simple dialogue, whatever you get your master, you get your close-ups open. Um, but more often than not, and sometimes I have to give us the credit that we did think about it. Um, but more often than not, I was thinking less about how I'm getting in and out of those scenes and how that scene goes into the next scene. So in the edit room, I had to think a lot harder and find better solutions to make the scenes transition between each other better. Um, so like definitely the next project I got to think about, okay, how are we actually getting in and out and keeping the story flowing without having to, you know, resort to throwing in an establisher or something like that, which sometimes is totally okay. And, and, and sometimes it's better. Okay. Sometimes it's important. Um, but sometimes it is a, a bandaid on a bullet hole. Yeah, that's true. I, I, that's something I didn't think about for the film. I just wrapped either. How are we going to transition? It's just like scene. Yeah. Next scene, next scene. I, I didn't think about it. I also wasn't the director. I was fair enough. I, I mean, sometimes that works great. Um, and I think in those moments when you're doing it properly, that scene cut to the next scene, like you can tell when it works and that's great. And it's totally fine. But there are other times where you do it and you're like, this is terrible. I should have done this, that, or the other. And so, like I said, we found different ways to fix it in post. And I think that's, I think that, that's the issue is that, um, I think you learn when you're making a film and then you're in post-production for me, at least like it, we did a lot of fixing in post. And so I'd love for the next time around to have to fix less in post. Um, we never on set. were like, ah, eh, forget it. We'll fix it in post. We always were, you know, let's, let's try and get it. Mm -hmm. um, but there is something about having the scope of a 90 to 120 minute film and saying like, Oh man, how does this all work? Like we've been shooting, I mean, we shot this thing over six months. So keeping track of what you're shooting in the scenes and how they go into each other, it's all like, you, I, I, didn't, I had no idea what we had until we sat down and put it together. And you had shot lists for every scene too? No. No? <laughs> you didn't have shot lists. Certain scenes where we knew, where I knew that, that like I need these very specific things um, we would. The problem was, is that we were always on a, such a hard time constraint that anytime I made a shot list, it was pretty much, all right, we know we need the master and the close-ups. Everything else was like, well, are we ahead of schedule? And most of the time we weren't. So a lot of scenes had to be made again in post because it's like, well, I didn't have a lot to work with. Um, and, uh, and again, thankfully a lot of it worked. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did my best to make shot lists and storyboard and things like that. And on a micro budget type of, uh, like I said, thread of a shoestring type thing, when, I mean, there were days we were shooting like nine pages in a day. Wow. Uh, or I had like three different band performances to shoot. 
I got what I could get, looked at the clock and said, it's time to move on. Um, wow. And uh, like, I think as a, as a filmmaker, I'd love to hide that information. They're like, no, 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 it was brilliant. Look, we, everything we did was on purpose. But I think for a film like this, that's on, um, like, again, such a small level, and I do appreciate, you know, Mark's comment before, and it, that it doesn't look like a small level. Um, I think it's important for an audience sometimes to know, like, hey, what we did is almost a miracle. Yeah, it's almost a miracle that this thing makes sense from beginning to end, let alone that it's enjoyable and it's fun and it looks good, so. I, I always like to see the process. It's kind of like when I meet a baby, I don't really ask things like, oh, what are its first words? I say, how was it made? How did you make this baby? So right. I so I like to know how movies are made. I'm also Absolutely. It's the Absolutely. Same it's the same thing. It's, it's exact, so I'm actually having a baby in September. Wow, you look great. Uh, thank you. Thanks. I've been working out a lot. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to being able to tell people how we made it. All right. Really? That's a different type of movie. And it might be a lucrative one. I don't know. It could be. Could be. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. So <laughs> one, of the, one of the things you, you mentioned is making a film that took six months to film. Yeah. And as, as I know, most movies are filmed out of order. Right. So how chaotic is that really to film things completely out of order on such an extended amount of time? Like, is there any, any tips you can give for people doing that? Cause some people take years to film, make a movie. I mean, six months isn't that long in the grand scheme of things, but if you're thinking about it, like six months. Right. Well, I mean, most films, like if it takes six months to shoot or it takes three years to shoot or something like that, you know, they're like always working on it. We, um, we went at it. We had um, we had a few bucks in the bank from in like a, a crowdfunding thing, and we said, you know what, let's start shooting, and we'll get some footage, and we'll be able to show investors, like, hey, look, we're doing this thing. Help us finish it. And so it was like we we shot for a weekend, like all the scenes in the office, and then we waited for two months, tried to raise raise some money, and then went back and shot for five days and shot here, there, and wherever. Um, and the hardest part was that I was also living in LA at the time. Um, so, I mean, I look at here now, uh, but you know, I'm from the East coast. And so for years we were trying to get this film off the ground and I moved to LA. And of course, two months later it was like, Hey, we have some money. Let's start making this movie. So I was flying back and forth, you know, every few weeks to, you know, work on this. Um, yeah, it gets scattered. Um, you know, it was, uh, again, like nothing shy of a miracle that we, we did like a 20, I think it's 21 days um, with like one pickup day uh, a, a way later. Um, but like 21 days spread out over six months is not ideal. Um, you know, I think most of our credits are longer, like they're pretty short, our credits, but I think they're even longer than they probably would have been had we shot 21 days straight because we had to like replace crew members and stuff because they weren't coming back and... and so um, it's a miracle that we had all the cast was able to stay with us and keep showing up. We even had some of the extras that were showing up in the shows would come back to be there for the other shows, um, you know, months later, which was really great. Um, mm -hmm. But again, like some of this stuff is uh, like, it, it, I think even on a huge budget production, when you have all the resources, it's, there's really nothing shy of a miracle to see two hours on the screen that are entertaining, beautiful, make sense, you know, and engaging. So to be on this level of a film and this level of production 
and to end up with something that I think is also entertaining and engaging and looks good and whatever else, nothing shy of a miracle. And when did you wrap the film? What was your wrap date? We wrapped, um, I think it was May of 2017, okay. three weeks before my wedding. <laughs> and we had our wrap party the night before my rehearsal dinner. So I flew back to the East Coast to have my rehearsal, uh, to have a wrap party, my rehearsal dinner, and then our wedding. Well, that's perfect. You, you know, you wrap the film right before your funeral. Just kidding. <laughs> I feel like these funerals. <laughs> so what we've learned is that sound is important, visuals is important, editing is important. If you're a first-time filmmaker, what would you say is the one thing, out of, if you only focus on one thing, what would be the one thing to focus on the script. Um, I mean, truthfully, um, I, as much as I, I, I sincerely appreciate all the compliments on, on the visuals and, and sound and all that stuff, but I'm glad that, um, you know, that that all came true and, and, and was great. Um, I mean, the most important thing is the script. Because if you have a great script, a great story, and it, and it all works and it's all really intelligent and it's super tight, like airtight, all your characters are, everything just comes together um, the truth of the matter is, if it's ugly and sounds like garbage, it's still going to be a good story. Um, whereas if your script isn't, you know, great, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. Uh, it doesn't matter how good it sounds. It's still going to be a crummy movie. Um, and we've seen plenty of those on the big screen where you go, I can't believe how much money you put into this. And it sucks. <laughs> And most of the reason is because you had like 52 different writers on it, rewriting each other. And at some point the studio said, this thing has to be released on this date, start shooting, even though the script's not ready. Um, and that, that to me is always like the, the biggest like foul you can make as a filmmaker because the script is free. You know, it doesn't cost anything to sit there and write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and fix and polish. So that's mm -hmm. the most important. And that's the thing that I see from, independent filmmakers or young filmmakers the most is like, dude, you're out shooting, but your script doesn't make any sense. And the reason why you're in post-production and you're going, oh, I don't know if this scene works or not is because it didn't work on paper. Yeah. So. You know, I just read four horrible scripts just now. I can't act in these. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, nope, it's true. I, I have to say that the first time I saw the movie, I gave it, I, I judged it on a curve because, you know, it was independent movies. You're a friend of mine. But the second time I saw that movie, I treated it like any other big budget movie. And I was watching for the mistakes or anything. And I was like, it flowed. It really did flow. And I, I just cannot stress how much I really enjoyed that movie on the nice. visuals, the sounds, the editing. And it made sense. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, why does, nope, I understand that. Nope, I understand that. It was, it was, it was as good as a movie as any big budget movie I've ever seen. I, I want to say that. So, uh, why don't you so tell people what the movie is about and where can they I, see well, it? Well, you loved it so much. Why don't you tell them what it's about? <laughs> well, it is a coming of age uh, story about four friends who were in a band back in the day feeling um, the midlife crisis to come back together to bring the troops together one more time to try and make a go at them being a successful uh, band with all the problems that they have at the age that they are now. 
right? Which just to edit, coming of age usually infers like teenagers no, coming uh, mid, of mid, age. Midlife These crisis. are middle-aged guys <laughs> who have came of age a long time ago. And they're, they're looking for another shot. So, um, so mostly like beaten down by the, the doldrums of, of, um, of just everyday life, work, family, kids, bills, things like that. Um, these guys who made a go of it back when they were in high school and post high school and stuff in the nineties, um, are, uh, are trying to make another go of it in a world that is a lot different from the world they were playing in, in the nineties. So, uh, so it's, uh, it's heartfelt, it's warm, it's fun. It's um, uh, we've we've had a lot of reviews that say we perfectly blend the drama and the comedy. So, and not only that, you didn't. I've said this before on the show. Um, you didn't fall in the tropes that a lot of that a lot of cliches that they have in films because like certain genres of films have certain tropes you have to do, but you 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 can see it coming and then you took a swerve. And the swerve was logical, new and different, and yet still was in the trope. So you managed to make, you know, because it's, it's like when you make a, a romantic comedy. You, you know, they meet up, they have some misunderstanding, right. they, you know, it, it's things that has to happen for it to be defined as that type of movie. So I, I believe you did that, but in the same way you also took the swerve. And that was uh, what I found refreshing. So it was a refreshing movie and still true to its form. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's important too. Like, uh, you know, back to the screenwriting thing for, for other filmmakers and stuff is that um, within the genre that you're working in, like, there are certain things that you have to do and you have, there are certain beats that you have to hit. Um, and certainly anybody that's studied any screenwriting knows that there's, um, you know, a lot of structural things that if you don't hit them, the story's just not going to work. It's going to fall apart. Um, but I think at the same time, it's um, like anything else, rules are meant to be bent and broken so if you if you kind of know what those are supposed to be and you can deviate around it and sort of hide those certain things so that the story works um you're gonna be that much better for it so uh, i appreciate that thanks all right social media time where can people buy this film it's on it's, it just got released uh, a month and a half ago two months uh, yeah, about two months ago. I think the end of April was our official release date. Um, it's been trickling out to all the different streaming things. So uh, The Incoherence you can find um, pretty much anywhere on VOD. Um, the big ones are, of course, iTunes, Apple, um, Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, Fandango Now. I think you can rent it on your Xbox or PlayStation. It's pretty much anywhere that you can, um, you can VOD anything. Um, like your cable providers might have it on their VOD. So uh, on demand, on demand, on demand, definitely buy it instead of rent it, but we appreciate you renting it also. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you forget um, where exactly to find it or you want a direct link because you don't want to hunt around for it, if you go to theincoherence.com, um, all the links are on there. If you follow us on Facebook at, I believe, The Incoherence, I hope. Maybe it's the Incoherence film. I'm terrible. I should know this. And on Instagram at the Incoherence. Or so just go a, to just go to LordofBarrelStudios.com and you can find That's it. true. LordofBarrelStudios.com, which is my production company and graphic novel and comic book studio. Um, if you go there, we have all the content. Jennifer, and it's a cool new website with <laughs> lots and lots of content. So go, go have Very fun. Important. Jennifer, you have a final question for uh, Jared before we uh, do our wrap up? I got all types of questions, but we got about a minute left, so I'll leave sure, it. Sure, let's do it. We'll rapid fire. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. Let's Throw it see. out there. Give him, give him, a, give him a short one. 
what's what spurred you to make films for other people? Because it seems like you were doing your own work and then you were doing other people's dirty work <laughs> or becoming the producer for other people, really? Yeah, well, so, um, I mean, most of the stuff I prefer to do is stuff that I write, my own content and stuff like that. Um, I have been attached to The Incoherent since 2012 uh, when my buddy Alex, who plays Jimmy in the film, asked me to direct a short film to help get this thing going. Um, I really enjoyed doing the short. I thought it was hilarious. So I asked Jeff, who's the star of the film, who also wrote the script, uh, to send me the script. And I just really fell in love with it. So I said, yeah, let's let's make this movie. I'd like to do it. Um, to be honest, as a, a filmmaker, at some point I was attached to like half a dozen different films to direct, um, whether they were stuff that I created or wrote or stuff that other people wanted me to come on board. Um, and this was the little film that could. So i um, super proud to be a part of it and I loved how it turned out. So Interesting. I always like to see next, how people next select. Next I think of mine now. <laughs> what was that? I always like to see how people select the work they're actually going to do. Like, why that? Why not that? That's true. Um, this became a that because, I mean, I liked it, obviously, but also there wasn't a that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I think at, at when, you're, when you're starting out, um, you know, I don't want to say you take what you can get because it, it feels like um, uh, talking down about the film because it, it's, it's definitely not. I, I, I was going to approach Jeff to say I'd like to make this because I really love the script. I thought it was great. Um, but yeah, I do hope that the next one is something that I write. All right. So we have less than five minutes to go. So it's time for our final thought. So Jennifer, you get to have our first final thought. The final thought, uh, Jennifer? Just going to be take care of yourself. Eat your fruits and vegetables. It's time to eat off the land, eat out of your garden, water pick and floss your teeth because there's many reasons to lose friends and your breath shouldn't be one of them. <laughs> Jerry, do you have a final thought? Uh, watch my movie and wear your damn masks. Um, my final thought is this. Uh, I've known Jared for quite some time. Um, I love his comics. So you can also, the comics are all still on sale on the website, right? Can you get some comics on the website? Absolutely. So make sure you guys go check out his comics. Um, his stories are really good. Uh, they're very unique and different. The movie is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. And it's not just because he's my friend, and that makes it even better. It makes me proud to say that how good this movie was, how much I enjoyed it. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, so, yeah, so that about does it for this week on It Came From the Radio. Uh, join us right here every week on this radio station if you miss any part of the show. Go to our website, www.itcamefromradio.com. This archives will up in a week or so. Um, we will have our next live show will be on August the 12th with artist, artist and author Prentice Rollins. Uh, he did a really cool book, and we're going to be talking about that. And I know for anybody who's listening to this on our YouTube page, not on our show because this will air afterwards, this Friday we're going to have a Q&A with Thundercat voice actor Lionel, Larry Kennedy, the original voice actor, on the East Metal Public Library. So for more information, go to www.eastmetalinfo.com. And uh, that is it. So let me pull up my exit music, and we will see you uh, next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.